Welcome back to Conspiracy What? Welcome to the anniversary episode. Which just so happens to be a second part. Yes, we didn't Whoops. plan that. But this was very long. A lot of pages of an outline. A lot of information. Uh, but anyway, we're back with D.B. Cooper. And Robert. And Robert. Could be the same person. It could be. You hold up a picture next to him. Kind of looks the same if you put on sunglasses. Kind of looks the same. I mean, I don't have an alibi for where I was in 1971. So <laughs> who yeah. knows? Exactly. So. I have about as good a claim to being D.B. Cooper as some of the people on our suspects list today. True. You share a name with one of them, too. So there's also that. Oh, yeah. Now I'm really suspicious. <laughs> anyway. not even his name, though. I'm Cameron. <laughs> I'm one of the hosts. Hi, I'm Allie. And I'm Dan. That's ah, Dan. That's him. Dan yep. Robert Danelli Cooper. <laughs> Why? Why do I have a second middle name that sounds like a, a tiny Italian cookie? Okay. Right. Um, welcome back to D.B. Cooper. Yeah. We're talking about D.B. Cooper. And we went over all the fun stuff last time. Yeah. We told you about all of the evidence. And... Let me just give you a quick refresher. Guy jumps out of plane, has a bunch of money. No one knows who he is. That yeah. is a quick refresher. It's a very fast refresher. I am, It's not false advertising. Yep. And he's probably Tommy Wiseau. We gave you a little teaser on our list of suspects, but uh, we have better ones than Tommy Wiseau. So get ready. Mm, do we though? I don't know. Do we? Is there any more room in this list for anyone other than Tommy Wiseau? Let's talk about some suspects yep yeah so anyway yeah if you want to uh catch up on all the evidence everything that was left behind listen to our last episode we've got all of that and more suspects let's talk about it db cooper a man named db cooper from washington was questioned on the off chance he was stupid enough to use his real name what? Now, Robert, put this one in here. So okay. Please tell us what the fuck. Please do. Yes. So this is the story that I had heard as to why, despite him giving his name as Dan Cooper, he became popularized as DB Cooper. Is that the FBI were um, were interviewing people with the like anything to do with the name D Cooper, and the uh, reporter overheard one of the policemen talking about a DB Cooper, and that went into the paper. Um, this guy has at, like, it definitely wasn't him. He had an alibi. I didn't even research it that much. It's just, I liked that, uh, the FBI was like, all right, let's, let's just double check and make sure it's not a guy named Dan Cooper. So they just picked a dude with the same name and was like, Hey, did you steal a bunch of money? No. They, I, I guess all they right. questioned a bunch. Cause there were like two others who also had like Daniel Cooper. And then like somebody used a middle name, Dan. Yeah. Well, and we mentioned in the last episode that when they cross-referenced the coupons used to buy the cigarettes, they found, what, three? Oh, three yeah. Dan yeah, Coopers they found two Dan Coopers that had used but the I mean, coupons within a certain amount of time. That's yeah. a pretty, you know, average name. <laughs> I feel like a lot of people will be named Dan or Daniel, and Cooper isn't exactly something unique. Yeah. Uh, well, let's, let's start off talking about that, though, because... Pretty much the reason why the Cooper name 
came about, they think, or why that was written down on the logs for the airplane, right? For the airline. Uh, is just because of a French comic book. It's about a Royal Canadian Air Force test pilot, and his name was Dan Cooper. Oh, right. I remember hearing this, because that's yeah. one of the reasons why they think it's one of the uh, people on our suspect list, is because he loved that as a kid, and it was yeah. like a Belgian comic strip? It, was, it says it's French, but it is about the Royal Canadian Air Force. So interesting. Yep. So yeah, but that's that's where the name Dan Cooper probably comes from. They're pretty positive that no matter who it is, that's probably what they took it from. So because he did a similar stunt, right? He jumped out of a plane. I mean, that's what he was. He was he was just like an Air Force pilot who I guess was known for jumping out of the planes and parachuting and crazy situations. Hmm. So interesting. Yeah. So that's probably where the name came from. Comic book hero. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> and he's also probably not the person. Yeah. All right. Next yes. one. Uh, Robert, please tell us about Robert. <laughs> uh, so Robert Rackstraw was a Vietnam vet and paratrooper who weirdly enough, wouldn't say yes or no, whether he was DB Cooper, uh, which is a little suspicious, I think. Um he was cleared by the FBI like very early on, um, like just after it had happened because he was too young, didn't fit the profile, like didn't fit what the description that the crew all pretty much unanimously agreed on. Um, like he looked the same, but was too young to actually fit that role. So he was deported from Iran following charges of possessing explosives I didn't really look into that more, but uh, apparently his vendetta against aircraft was well known. He tried to fake his own death in a plane crash, but he didn't even like take the, he, th- they found the plane that he tried to crash in later and he was found guilty of fraud. That was kind of hilarious. Uh, I think he wrote some of the letters himself some of the letters that we talked about last time to gain some fame. What kind of, did it say what kind of explosives he had? No, it's just uh, that he, like, that was why he was deported is what I read, was that in possession of explosives, I didn't see anything else. So anything from like C4 to like a bottle of Coke and Mentos. <laughs> it just could be anything. I guess, yeah. Those are dangerous. Uh, I do want to bring up that I think he looks less like D.B. Cooper and more like Ryan Gosling. So that's fair. But as we've discussed last time, kind of all white men look alike. <laughs> yeah. I don't see any. Pretty easy to lose right a now. white guy in a crowd of other white people. Yeah. Okay. The last thing I wanted to mention about this is um, Rackstraw went back and forth about saying whether he was or wasn't. Um, he, he admitted later that it was just a stunt because when it came down to it and a producer from a movie studio was like we want your right we want to buy your rights here's twenty thousand dollars and we're gonna make a biopic about you he finally backed down and said no it's not me which i would need the money yeah exactly right (laughs) lean into it although there was um something weird is about there is something weird about the statute of limitations with this crime because someone else came forward and was like it was definitely me and then retracted their claim when they found out they could still be prosecuted 
Oh. Like, actually, never mind. Yeah, if they did it before, whenever this case was closed, the case was still open. So, like, if you admit to it, you admitted to an open case. Well, it doesn't matter if the case is open, though. If statute of limitations runs out, the case could still be open. Really? That, yeah, that is I thought it was just the end. Like, the for end. instance, if we figure out who Jack the Ripper is now, it's a little too late. A little? <laughs> like, if he's walking around London still... We have other questions. Tough luck. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right, so I, I, I haven't even read, I don't think I've read much about Rackstraw. Um, I just read the part where it said he was too young, but like he wasn't really that young. He was like late 20s or something. Like yeah, he, that's, he could have just looked like an old 20 year old. <laughs> it seems like the FBI really relies heavily on the uh, agreed upon description from all of the crew members who were saying like, oh, he's in his like late 30s or early 40s. But as you guys know from doing this podcast, eyewitness testimony usually kind of sucks. Pretty much every time it kind of sucks. <laughs> yeah, it's not the best. <laughs> I mean, he he's obviously a sort of credible uh, suspect, I guess, because he's a paratrooper and he had explosives, which D.B. Cooper had explosives. And he tried to die in a plane. So there's planes and parachutes and bombs. You know, what this, <laughs> this whole conspiracy has made me realize that everybody is a paratrooper. Because like every <laughs> single person that has popped up in this, they'll find like a random guy and be like, now he's a suspect. Why? Because he's a paratrooper. That's everybody's a paratrooper. If you know how to use a parachute, you're a suspect. Yeah. But apparently everybody does in the 70s. Yeah. it was. It's, so many of them were veterans who just like served in the whatever airborne division i guess so presumably that coupled with the like explosive knowledge they're like oh it's probably a veteran who jumped out of a plane in either korea or vietnam and well that's a lot of people yeah Rackstraw specifically, I think, is guilty of this, where it feels like they just sort of take elements of the case and are like, ha, ah, you've been around those elements in the past. Yeah, exactly. And we'll, you'll see that more. I mean, a lot of the FBI at this point in time, like we've talked about this on the podcast before, it's kind of just a lot of they point fingers until someone flinches. And that's how they figure out who did it. They don't have a lot of real evidence. They'll plant that later. And until then, they'll just point fingers. They never did plant evidence with this case. How do you know? Hats off to them. Well, what? if they did, they'd suck The tie didn't fly away, and the cigarettes didn't fly away. I don't think, but then they did later. They that. They did. Oh. Okay, so Dwayne Weber, he is a D.B. Cooper suspect because his wife thinks that he's D.B. Cooper, basically. His wife was told that he was D.B. Cooper. By him. Yes. While he was yeah. dying. Right. As he dies. Yeah. Uh, I think he just hated his wife. <laughs> he, he was way older than her, too. But basically, he said on his deathbed, I'm Dan Cooper. And it was like the last thing that he said to his wife, aside from, I love you. And he had a mysterious past that for some reason, this woman just like never asked about. Like, how do you fall in love with someone, but then just like never ask them anything about themselves? You grow up between the 50s and 70s. <laughs> but it's still weird okay it's just kind of how she things had no are, idea basically where this dude came from and after he died she found all of these fake ideas ids he had like a like she put it all into a binder there were just like pages of like aliases and fake ids 
And I mean, they never found one that said Dan Cooper, but it's still weird that he had so many fake names. Like, why did you need that many? I don't know. Yeah. So he is basically suspicious because we don't know anything about where he came from. And I guess he said he's the guy, but then, so we, we got most of this information from the HBO documentary that just came out a couple months ago. And she was in it and talking about how she and some kid uh, named Tim Collins, <laughs> who claims to be, quote, her memory man. Yes, that is what he is listed as in everything. He's always listed as her memory man. He's basically a D.B. Cooper enthusiast that is too young to have ever lived around anybody who was actually alive at the time. And is trying to basically pull evidence out of this woman's brain that works with the D.B. Cooper story. He didn't just start, I, I want to put this correctly, like he didn't start as a D.B. Cooper enthusiast. He started as her neighbor. Oh, really? Yes. <laughs> and <laughs> she is kind of like this, I'll say positive person that her husband was D.B. Cooper. And she was like, I need the evidence though. I need help putting it together. He became interested because of her. And because of that, he's been putting together the case. But he's also one of the most problematic parts of it because he's her memory man he often talks more than she does so also, what do you mean memory man okay let she, me explain yeah <laughs> okay so this woman has never like she did all these things with this this guy her husband and never really like asked some questions as to why so like for example they went on what she's calling a sentimental journey Basically, they took an, a vacation to Washington where he showed her all these random places and she never asked like what significance it had to her or anything like that. She like took a picture of him in the in their hotel and he's like jumping at the camera saying Geronimo or something. And that's one of their pieces of evidence. And Wait, hang on. I'm sorry. The memory man is like jumping at the camera saying Geronimo. Uh, the husband, Dwayne Weber, yeah. is... So oh. that not make sense? Okay, so like way back, like in the 70s, uh, this woman, Joe is her name, and Dwayne Weber went on what he, what she calls a sentimental journey to Washington. Basically, they took a vacation to Washington, and he showed her all these places, and she never asked what any of it meant to him. And I guess one day, also, he went out right before they were supposed to check out of their hotel, and... He, like, came back really late and was covered in dirt. And she said he'd obviously been digging in something. And he had, like, a paper bag that he went and then dumped in a river, in the river. It wasn't a paper bag. I thought it was a paper bag. It was just, like, a bag. It was, like, a cloth bag, like a gym bag or something. She the, He had a bag that he dumped yeah. in the river. Yeah, this is – so it wasn't a sentimental journey at the time. No, it was a business what, meeting. I, that's what she's calling it. Now she does. But, yeah, it was a business meeting at the time. So she sees him throw this bag of what she assumes is trash in the Columbia River. And this is their explanation for how the cash ended up in the river on the wrong side of the current. Um, that he just tossed it in a bag. Yeah. And then some of it got out of the bag, but then stayed together. So they're basically claiming that he tossed at least some of the money into the Columbia River... Well, he was on vacation with his wife, but this was in like the 70s. Yeah, this is so this is really important 
with the, in the way she tells it to me because she she very much over exaggerates certain parts of her story and this can is I, what can i say something real quick yeah i didn't finish explaining what the memory man thing meant <laughs> oh basically he's taking these stories this this kid tim collins is taking these stories that joe is telling him and being like that's a db cooper thing so he's the one that said oh he dumped a bag of trash in the river it's probably the money that was found in the columbia river right oh. so he's he's connecting things while she's telling him stories basically yeah there's more to it than that he's connecting it because they were technically upstream quite a ways but upstream from where the money was found but one of the biggest and most important things here is she claims that not only did he come back with like dirt all over him but he had just randomly disappeared and this was supposed to be the whole point was a business meeting so they weren't even supposed to be taking this little journey through the woods or anything like that but she didn't think anything of it because you're driving a long distance so you're just driving to these random places which is fair she didn't think anything of it but then she over exaggerates the moment that he throws a bag of something into the river because she tells she tells the story about how like she yelled at him because she's like that's littering and you're littering and you're littering in the river. And she's like, and I've hated littering since I was young. So I let him have it. And like, she goes pretty hardcore intense on this more intense than any other part of her story. And it just, it doesn't come off as necessarily believable just because she kind of just overblows the whole situation. But I remember it was around this time where Colin said specifically uh, that in order to get through her stories properly, he doesn't listen to everything she says. He picks out things that she talks about. <laughs> yeah. Which is an issue when you're someone's memory man, because now you're the memory man who's taking a fourth of the memory. <laughs> so now you don't even know what the memories are anymore. Seems very contrived. <laughs> there's, yeah, there's no evidence that like he's connected to it at all. There's, again, he has a ton of fake IDs and aliases and D. Cooper is not one of them. So there I think he was actually cleared by the FBI too. He was cleared That's based on one of the half prints, I think is what I read. Cuz they had a half fingerprint and that's one of the things they cleared him on. But again, we don't even know if that fingerprint was from Cooper. If you don't know what we're talking about, listen to our last episode. They found half of a print on a magazine that he might have touched. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Wow. So yeah. So weird that this guy is basically, I, I almost feel like he's one of those fake psychics who's just like, yes, no, you have a relative who did something pretty awful, didn't they? That's a yeah. recurring theme throughout all of these suspects is, it's like, wow, these guys are probably people who are into some shady stuff. They just didn't necessarily do the D.B. Cooper hijacking. I know, because yeah. like that story is kind of weird. Like what... What was he doing? You it, was, know? it was the 70s. Who wasn't doing shady stuff? He, she had pages of fake IDs. I, there were six per page. She was just flipping through them. Is there, like a, is there like a metric for how many people had fake IDs in the 70s? Well, apparently everybody used to hijack planes to go to Cuba. So Exa- <laughs> See, this is the thing, is that there's more going on here than just... Really, what we're finding out is that this is a weird time. But, yeah, the, the thing with Dwayne Weber is... It sounds like most of their their connection here is trying to connect where the money in the river came from. Is this little bit of the story that she tells where he he she supposedly watched him dump it in the river. Yeah, and she doesn't know what. It's just a bag. He yeah. could have actually just been littering. Mm-hmm. This is such a stretch. <laughs> 
it's it's an even bigger stretch when you consider the fact too that the money wasn't found in a bag it it wasn't found in like a zipped up bag thrown in a river and then slightly buried the money was found rubber banded together underneath the dirt so the only reason why any of this is ever connected to db cooper is because he supposedly said on his deathbed i'm dan cooper yes as do most of these people and her big thing, her big statement that she makes multiple times in the HBO documentary, at least, is I've been working at this for 23 years. Do you think I would have done that if he wasn't D.B. Cooper? <laughs> and to, good to, But see, to be fair, like, I do, I don't think she would have if she didn't believe he was D.B. Cooper, but that doesn't make him D.B. Cooper. I think she believes her story. I think she very much does. She also does have memory problems, though which is also a problem. And your her only memory man is a kid who specifically says, I don't listen to everything she says. <laughs> so you have an old woman who doesn't remember everything and a young kid who's taking bits and pieces and connecting them in ways they might not even actually connect in the real story. It's hard to say. We should put up a poll for all of these suspects. Oh, yeah. you guys, I think it was. You guys tell us what your favorite suspect is. I'll try and put one up. I know Facebook only lets you do like two options of those. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see how that goes. But yeah, that's, I mean, that's essentially Dwayne Weber. He was a big topic of discussion or he was a bigger topic of discussion uh, years ago. He's not as big anymore because there's just better suspects kind of on the horizon compared to Weber, who mostly was just a guy. It was just like a con man with a bunch of fake IDs. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much just what he was. But uh, we do have Walter Recca. Yes. Um, now this this for me is kind of the most interesting suspect. Um, I'm not totally sold on it, but um, so he confessed to his friend on a recorded call of being DB DB Cooper, um, and his friend who was like a, a lawyer and producer or something. He was like, "You uh, you have the rights to tell my story once I die," um, and he did die. He is dead now. Uh, he died in 2014, uh, but. The story that his friend claims is so crazy. Essentially that um, uh, the government did eventually catch up to D.B. Cooper, Walter Recca, and be like, wow, that was some of the greatest hijacking we've ever seen. Do you want to come work for us? And so then he ended up being a, a double agent with the KGB and the CIA and Mossad, which is the Israeli uh intelligence agency all three (laughs) yes or like he's cheating on one with another no it's not cheating when you're a spy it's like he's a double agent or something yeah it he he had from what i understand like passports and ids for all of them which is weird hmm yeah he's probably just a spy it doesn't make him db cooper double agent yeah Exactly. And I'm pretty sure this is, uh, this is another guy who, like, he was a veteran. It's not surprising that he had these skills. But uh, once again, it's like him being a suspect is based on having the right knowledge to pull it off. And also on one of the flimsiest eyewitness accounts I've ever heard, where he basically told a story, uh, Rekka, saying that, well, there was a guy uh, that I met at a diner as I was leaving the woods after jumping out of the plane with the money. And like, this guy bought me a cup of coffee and gave me directions and stuff. And there was a guy who's like, yeah, no, that happened to me. And it's like, okay, 
fine. Like, I'm sure you guys might have met, but that do- that's not proof. That's, <laughs> you guys were in the diner at one point, even if you're both remembering the right guy and telling the truth. Okay, hold on. So this this one random guy is like, yeah, I met some guy in the diner. It was a cop. Him coffee. It was a cop who said that. Well, he was yeah. a, f- oh. a former cop. He was a, a trucker at that point. Still. <laughs> but he was like, yeah, I picked him up on the side of the road and we went to a diner. Because that's what you do. I don't 70s are weird. I don't know. <laughs> 70s are awesome. But another thing that he makes a point of that doesn't really fit with anything else is that this character who's supposed to be D.B. Cooper was carrying a raincoat, something that he wasn't wearing when he left and didn't seem like it was in the briefcase because that's where the bomb was. It was underneath the bomb. That's on you, Secret though. Compartment. That's on you. He has that flash ring that lets him keep a suit inside of the ring, but he does it for his raincoat. All weather. Okay, nerd. That, like... <laughs> <laughs> I also love superheroes, and that was a deep cut. Okay, anyway. Uh, so, finishing up uh, Mr. Rekka, um, another thing that doesn't really work with his uh, story is that... Uh, it's while we don't exactly know where D.B. Cooper landed, where we think now he landed is a good 150 miles away from where Rekka is saying that he landed and then met this guy. And also he was another uh, veteran. He should have noticed that some of the shoots were sewn shut. Yeah, and that's, a, that's also a throwback to the part one as well where we talked about the shoots. One of them, if you remember, uh, supposedly was not sewn shut. Only three of them out of the four requested were. And the, the question of where Cooper dropped is so ranging. It's ridiculous because they, the radar was off, which is pretty much confirmed. And we don't know when he jumped. So now there's like all kinds of conspiracies on when he jumped, just as a reminder. Exactly. But that's that's it for Walter Recca. L.D. Cooper. I feel like this is more just another one that's like like the first one you talked about, Robert. It's like, you have a name that's similar. Yes. Um, well, this, this story is kind of insane, though. Is it? Yeah. yeah. I thought it was kind of dumb. What? No, I'm saying it's insane. Like, it's literally, like, manic. Oh. <laughs> because this this girl says that she saw all of this stuff happen when she was eight, and it starts off with, like, her dad and her uncle like walking into this family barbecue picnic. I don't know. Anyway, her uncle was bloodied and they were like, we did it. We did it. They were like yelling about something. She said that she heard them say, we did it. We hijacked the plane and our money problems are gone or something like that. (laughs) Yeah. I don't trust an eight year old with what they heard. Yes, this girl's name is Maria Cooper. Yes. And her uncle was L.D. Cooper. She's not eight anymore. No. Seven years ago. She came out with this story in uh, 2011 or 12. It was very recently. Yeah. Very recently. And she, the funny thing is, is that it took her this long to say it to me. But basically she claims that she knows that her uncle was D.B. Cooper and that he has been missing ever since that incident that cam just talked about where he came home bloody with her father and she heard them say that their their money problems are gone they officially hijacked the plane or whatever and then shortly after he never came home again and they haven't seen him since 
Yes. But she was eight, year old, eight years old when all this happened. She also said that she asked her father one day what happened to Uncle LD and Uncle <laughs> Cooper. And he was like, well, I think he's laying low for a while. So... Yeah, I think this is a guy who did a crime, probably. (laughs) Yeah. I don't think it's the guy who did this crime, because I can't imagine anyone successfully intelligent enough to pull off the D.B. Cooper hijacking and then landing on the ground at a family reunion going like, yes, we did the crime. We did the crime so well, we've got money now. I know. Thank you. See, that's the problem I had, too. It's just the way she tells it, too, is, like, really silly. And then there's this whole thing where, like, like you just said, Cam, she asked her father, whatever happened to Uncle LD? And he was like alluding like, oh, he's laying low. And like, you'll remember if you think about it, this happened when you were eight. Like, yeah. just think, you got to remember. And then she's like, and then it just started coming back to me. Yeah. So basically she claims like a memory <laughs> loss after she was eight or like she saw, I don't know, this bloodied man that is her uncle. And then she's like, well, back to play ball. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like, so... Also, why would he be covered in blood? What, how is that part of the story? He went straight into the trees. Like, <laughs> just, just straight into him, but face and all. What I think happened is she probably Googled L.D. Cooper to see if there was like a record or something and got D.B. Cooper and was like, holy shit. <gasps> what if he changed one letter of his name? Yeah, I mean, like, I don't remember what the L.D. stands for. I didn't write it down. Um, but it's not Dan. The D is not Dan. Lynn Doyle. Yeah. And I think I think what she probably did is she just looked it up to see if she could find him and found that and then connected a story. Yeah. And I, I definitely think she added things. Like, I again, she might believe her story. I There's a good chance she does. I think this is one of those conspiracies where we talk about this all the time, where a lot of times people are like, well, that witness is incredible. They're not credible. They're, like, they're not, there's not a problem with them, though, because they're lying. The problem is that they believe it, which means you can't get a straight answer out of them because you can prove a liar wrong. But if someone truly believes their story, then they're going to take that as full on evidence that they're presenting, which makes it really hard to figure out what actually happened. And which, that's the problem with most conspiracy theorists yes, as well. Exactly. <laughs> they fully believe their story. And so it's like, but do you have evidence? Yeah. So this is just one of those situations. I don't know, I think it's kind of interesting. It's the only one that actually has Cooper in it. He also, Lynn Doyle, weirdly, is described as the middle of five brothers and the only member of a musical family who did not play an instrument. Because he hijacked planes instead. Mm, yep, that's, that's that. If I, if I weren't interested in playing music, then I definitely would be just sort of stealing a bunch of transportation. Transportation in general. Yeah. <laughs> Get off that moped. Do you play an <laughs> instrument? I don't. So you, then you steal. What if That's I admitted what... <laughs> to? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know those extracurricular activities after school that they, they prepared you for as kids? Music and theft. <laughs> Cam. What's up? Tell us about the next one. Kenneth Christensen. This is the whole thing that got me interested in D.B. Cooper in the first place, because I watched this years and years and years and years and years ago. Uh, there, was, there used to be a show. Uh, it's Meltzer, right? I always want to say Metzler. Anyway, Brad <laughs> Meltzer uh, is a famous writer. He's written all kinds of interesting stuff. He also had a show, very cheesy one, called Decoded. It was on the History Channel, I believe, and I used to watch it all the time. 
they did an episode on db cooper though and they actually throughout the episode if you get past the cheese they do present a lot of interesting uh evidence and it's on a man named kenneth christensen mainly that's what the show ends up focusing on and they end up focusing on him for numerous reasons which one of which is that he was a paratrooper uh another one is that he was supposedly admitted to it to someone who swore themselves to secrecy and didn't explicitly say he was db cooper because of this but kind of alluded to the idea and uh this was eventually found out by like was it like the nephew or no it was his best friend well who the best friend was told secrecy but then it was not the best friend that actually told decoded it was like a nephew or a grandson or something like that. Some other member of the family. But what we do know is that he also worked for Northwest and he worked as, I believe, a pilot, right? Or he knew plane systems and he had worked with 727s as well, which is very important to this whole thing because he needs to know that information. Uh, one thing about D.B. Cooper that we know is that he supposedly had a grudge. We don't know what the grudge was, but one mm -hmm. he was once asked uh, while on the plane by the stewardess, do you have a grudge against like the company or whatever? And he said, I don't against them, but I have a grudge. And that's, that's how that whole thing came about. But this guy basically goes away for a short period of time, Kenneth Christensen does, and then he randomly comes back to his family and about a year later, after coming back, he buys a house with cash, solid cash. So, and if you look at his his past records, he never made enough money to do yeah, that. Decoded went into his pay records and found out he would have never made enough money to ever buy a house in cash. So, where did he get the so cash? where did he get the money from and they went to his old house and what they found out was a secret cutout in the house that led to what was kind of like the attic but nobody knew that the cutout was there no they got to the attic because the house that he lived in is now just like a general store or right or like a gift shop i don't remember <laughs> and so they go in the attic and they find a cutout in all the insulation like underneath yeah. it and it's like this like a safe safe box the way they found the cutout was with thermal imaging they were looking for a spot in the house that was colder than the other areas and they found one that was like not too far off from some really heated areas which meant there had to be open space and that's how they found it so it wasn't just like this obvious cutout they had to actually search for it with thermal imaging which was an interesting process to go through to try and figure this out. But regardless of whether or not he had the money from the hijacking there, he had a weird hidden cutout in his house for some reason. Was there anything in the crawlspace thing? No, mm. but that would also make sense with someone who's so meticulous. They're not going to leave anything behind. Like there's not going to be a dollar bill left behind. Like, Oh my God, we did it. That would be amazing. <laughs> but, uh, there's also a very, very important picture as well. Uh, this picture was developed in March, as this article says, or whatever this says. Uh, and it's, it's basically Kenneth Christensen coming home, but this is right after the hijacking would have occurred. And he has a briefcase and a sack with something in it. And nobody knows what is in that sack, but he has the same items that Wondering. the hijacker had. Maybe. Yeah. He's also not wearing the same 
Was this supposedly taken like as he comes home just after? Because he's not wearing the same clothes. He's wearing tan pants. Well, this would have been like days after, but it was oh. around the same exact time. Like we're, we're talking within like a span of maybe a week or a little bit more than that, okay. which is what makes it more credible. Because like you said, like if this is supposed to be like, if this was like 24 hours after, I'd be like, no, there's no way. But the fact that he is coming home within this, within a certain time frame after being gone kind of randomly and he has this briefcase and he has this sack. But everybody has a briefcase. A lot of people have a briefcase, yes. But I mean, that's still, that doesn't take away from the fact that it's still, it's very good circumstantial evidence, which as we all know, circumstantial evidence is worthless. But <laughs> so are eyewitness testimonies. Oh my God, nothing, no evidence is worth anything. There was no DB Cooper. I think that's what we've discovered. This never <laughs> happened. You take away oh, all shit. the eyewitness accounts. There never was a man. So the thing I like about this one, oh, we also didn't mention that he looks actually like very similar to the picture. Yes. He has the, oh, the right face for it at least. Yeah. That like is like most of our suspects. That is one thing I wanted to say about uh, Walter Recca is he's the one suspect who looks nothing like D.B. Cooper. <laughs> his, uh, he looks absolutely nothing like him. Yeah. His, his hair is a lot lighter and yeah. He's got he like a bigger like nose. He's got like a kind of more of a square jaw. He looks nothing like him. Uh, but Kenneth Christensen looks a lot like D.B. Cooper. He has access to uh, information about 727s. He's worked in airliners. He's a paratrooper with also night jumping experience specifically. He would have definitely known what he was doing. And he purchased a house with cash in 1972 off of a job that would have never allowed him to do that. I just, so I like this one because he's the only suspect that actually worked for the company that was hijacked. Yes, and, and he's the only one that there's no direct evidence against. Everybody else has something that goes against their claim or something that's too difficult to explain. However, with him, the most difficult thing to explain is what is in his right hand in this photo that we will put up on our social media, but is what is in this bag that he's carrying. Or our newsletter, if I make that in time. Or a newsletter, or yeah. Uh, well, I would like to toss one little uh, hiccup into the ring. Uh, all accounts of what D.B. Cooper looks like include him having hair. And this guy, his hairline is on the back of his head. Yeah. That's true. I just think his face shape looks the closest. But maybe he wore a wig. It's not outside the realm of possibility. They no. invented wigs in the 70s. <laughs> there, there's also another funny picture. I didn't put it in our outline, I forgot. But uh, there's another funny picture where he's dressed as an airline pilot and he is wearing the same exact tie D.B. Cooper wore, just with a different, uh, what's it called? Tie pin? Tie clip. Yes, I was going to say pin, but it is clip, I think. I don't know. Anyway, tie clip, pin. Uh, oh, no, yeah. Ty, actually, because I realized I looked this up after we recorded last time because I was saying it wrong. Uh, tie clip is what he left behind. That's what holds your tie against, like, your chest down here. Yeah. Tie pin is, uh, yeah. go, it's the bar that goes across your neck. Okay, so that makes sense. Yeah. So and men say women have stupid accessories. Yeah, men have stupid accessories. <laughs> uh, the necktie is the dumbest accessory on the planet. <laughs> Okay, someone didn't watch White Collar. He looks amazing. It makes people look good. Come on. It, it, the, the funny thing is he's wearing the same exact tie, just with a different clip on it. But we pretty much know this was like a JCPenney tie now. So anyone could have had that. But it's, fun, it's just funny because it's another photo where he's got something similar to what D.B. Cooper had. 
So it's a very interesting case. And he doesn't come home in a tie. So I don't know. That's evidence right there, right? The absence of evidence. Yep. Let's, let's arrest him. He's not alive. <laughs> so. You know what? Don't care. <laughs> arrest him anyway. Still, though. We're going to dig him up, put cuffs on him, put him in jail. God. All right. NSA, you can take him <laughs> now. Uh, all right. Who's got Richard McCoy? Richard McCoy. So uh, about six months after the uh, D.B. Cooper incident, Richard McCoy conducted a copycat, copycat hijacking for 50 or 500,000. Yikes, that's even more. Um, and he successfully bailed out. He, uh, he was eventually just tracked down and caught normally via fingerprints and a handwriting expert linking a note that he wrote, which I'm shocked that we still believed handwriting experts in the 70s, but okay. Because that's something that's been thoroughly debunked, right? No, handwriting analysis is still actually used. It's just not something that's used as like direct evidence. But I mean, it's still used in all kinds of other stuff like autograph, um, certifications and stuff oh, like that. Oh, so, okay. All right. That kind so of it's still sense. it's still very real in a sense, but you're not going to find you're not going to find <laughs> Cooper off of that. No. Yes. Well, he eventually uh, was arrested with ransom money on his uh, person. So he, uh, I didn't. I don't think I wrote this in here. He was actually turned in by a former officer, presumably yes. police officer. Yeah, Cam can. Elaborate. So he, this was uh, partially in the HBO documentary as well. And they actually interview the former officer that turned him in. So McCoy was in the military and his direct officer in the military was listening to the fact that there had been a plane hijacking with this whole $500,000 amount, not the D.B. Cooper case, but the one in 1972. And he then calls the police and he's like, hey, I think it's this old guy that used to that i used to work with in the military and wait was he old well just the, the guy that he used to like old oh. co-worker type of thing uh but anyway and <laughs> the reason the reason why he thinks this the reason why he thinks that mccoy is the 1972 hijacker in the first place is because one time when they were talking about the db cooper heist because it had happened before they were in the military and they all made up stories about how they would do it about how they would heist if they were in D.B. Cooper's like position. And apparently McCoy was a little too gung-ho about how he would heist a plane. He was a little too excited, a little too realistic about it. Uh, and Enthusiasm, that greatest of crimes. <laughs> yeah. So, but, so this guy, he was like, so I called the police and said, I'm pretty sure it's Rude. this. I'm pretty sure that this is Richard McCoy. They go. They, they find the money. On they him. find the money in his attic. So, Richard McCoy, the idiot that he is, he leaves the money from the 1972 hijacking in his attic. <laughs> so they go, they search his house, they find out it's him, and that's how he got found out. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Brutal. Yeah. Well, after getting found out, he was sentenced to 45 years in prison. He served two, but then busted out of Lewisburg Federal Penitentiary by ramming the gate with a garbage truck, which sounds like a real badass action movie move. Yeah, right? <laughs> yes, like Bruce Willis style. Good for you. Um, and he got away for a whole three weeks. Also good for you. 
yeah. for dying in a shootout with uh, law enforcement less good for you yeah the the law enforcement officer was also interviewed in that case and he was like yeah he pulled his gun and it was either i fire or i don't so he's dead that was pretty much what he said <laughs> and i was like okay he was like that's right. just what you got to do and i was like all right good on you sir uh it should also be noted that Richard McCoy, while kind of a copycat hijacking, and it is similar, he didn't use a briefcase with a bomb. He wasn't that smooth. It was a grenade and a handgun. Oh, but it wasn't. I also read this. It's not a grenade and a handgun. It's a paperweight that looks like a grenade and an <laughs> unloaded handgun. Do they actually know Wait, it was unloaded or not, though? Yeah, because... that's, what, that's what I read is that like, he didn't act technically have a weapon on him. So he, Which, he probably stole a grenade-shaped paperweight from, like, his commanding officer in the military. He was like, I could use this one day. Or was so dumb he thought it was an actual grenade and didn't oh, realize that guns need bullets. Are we sure the gun wasn't a stapler like in Batman Begins? Just, <laughs> <laughs> just clicks it. doesn't show anybody. Yeah. Uh, the, the thing about... Richard McCoy, though, that we do know from the shootout and from, like, escaping prison and stuff is that he was a violent person and he was very flustered and the witnesses on the plane said he was super anxious and, he like, he was wanting to just get the heist done. He was very much, like, he was not smooth. Not a smooth person at all. It was not like the D.B. Cooper case where D.B. is like, hey, uh, read that note for me. And he's like, hey, sit down and I'm going to show you this bomb. Also... <laughs> Can I have some alcohol? And then I'm going to jump out of this plane before you refuel, but you don't know that. Yeah, that, that wasn't this kind of case. This dude, like, is very anxious, nervous, and he's claiming he has a gun and a grenade. So... What's a paperweight? <laughs> oh, God. But what about his alibi? So while he does seem like a good candidate, he had an alibi where he's in Vegas Rather, sorry, I, I, I'm phrasing that a little confusingly. He said that he was at home, but what he was actually doing was partying in Vegas. And like they figured that out because he called his wife from Vegas, proving that he lied to the law enforcement for some reason, but also that he didn't do it. Yeah. Yeah. But hey, maybe this adds credit to my uncle's theory. <laughs> maybe he really did ride the plane all the way to Reno jump they just hightailed it in a day down to vegas to blow all the cash listen if db cooper with one hand on a sack of money another hand on a suitcase and a parachute on grabbed onto the back of a plane and just rode it for a bit that's even more impressive than the actual heist <laughs> itself yeah that's that's a lot of work uh yeah the the weird thing though is just that it's so weird that he lied about his alibi when he didn't have a reason to lie because he was in, I mean, he was in Vegas. And like his wife knew, obviously, because right. he called so her. There's, so there's, what, what is he hiding from? There's nothing that he's hiding in theory. But there is. But. He was Davy Cooper. I, yeah. I feel like it was probably unrelated crimes. Like all of these people are just like, wow, you're a veteran who's jumped out of a plane and has seen an explosive before. Uh he You're probably D.B. Cooper. Yeah, and it's just like, oh no, they could have just done an done a crime right around that time. Thanksgiving is a big time for crimes. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, McCoy is somebody that they really latched onto for a long time because on the FBI website for this case, it still says 
that McCoy is one of their favorite suspects for this. No, but he's a favorite suspect, not of the that's FBI. What it said. The yeah. FBI, it's not one of the FBI's favorite suspects, though. So it says on their site. No, it says that he's a favorite suspect, but they ruled him out. I guess. I had to reread it multiple times, and then I figured out that's what they were saying. But yes. Anyway. Yeah. He is a favorite suspect. Yeah. And Cooperologists. But, like, you can't really connect him to it because it, it doesn't really make sense. <laughs> yeah. It's also, he's such a different person in temperament between like and he's the 50 the five hundred thousand dollar one that mccoy actually did came afterwards so you could only argue that he would have gotten more confident not less yeah right exactly. like he was yeah. suave to start with what happened <laughs> yeah this is like a nervous kid who's like looking up to his hero and trying to be just like him and then kind of gets nervous in the middle of it and messes up some things and then puts the money in his attic because he's not smart. And <laughs> yeah, uh, it should be noted though, that the arresting officer did think that it was him and still does to this day. The guy who arrested Richard McCoy, he says that he, when he was in the interview room, he put a picture of Cooper that like drawing down of Cooper in front of McCoy. And he's like, and I was looking at the same person. I'm positive. And he says that McCoy wouldn't answer any questions about Cooper and he wouldn't look at the photo. So he was his lover. Oh, wait, wait, <laughs> wait. The cop was Cooper's no. lover. The cop no. was a lover with McCoy. McCoy was a lover with Cooper. Yes. yes that, or McCoy was a lover with the cop. No, McCoy and Cooper. Ones. McCoy and Cooper yep. were lovers with the cop. Yeah, and he was meeting him in Vegas after he held on to the outside of the plane all the way to Reno so that they could have a secret sex rendezvous, which is why he lied about it. There we go. I think we cracked it. Yep, Cooper and his sexcapades. Uh, oh, my God. <laughs> what the fuck? Cam, talk about the next one. Yeah, that, that's pretty much everything with McCoy. So there is another... Another suspect. Hooray! Again. Another again. And there, just so you guys know, we're not getting into every single Cooper oh God, suspect. No. This is you like a would nice be here with plate. us for eight hours. And that's just us naming them. So we're not going to do all of them. But Sheridan Peterson is our, I believe, our final yes. suspect on this list. He was a retired Marine who fought in Vietnam. Oh, why do you say it like that? Okay, fought in Nam. And he worked at Boeing in Seattle as a technical editor. So he knew the company, he knew, a seven, he knew the 727s, so he could have had a grudge. He was also a very experienced skydiver and had been, someone had been quoted as uh, saying that he'd even experimented with homemade bat wings. So he was someone who was kind of a little bit off the, off the wall, off the rails, and he just would try anything, but he knew skydiving. And he was also, this is very important, one of the very first suspects that the FBI ever went after. So he was one of the very first people they looked at. They looked at him for a very long time. And as far as I know, he's never been kicked from the suspect list. So first to come and like still one of the last people. And he's one of the 12 that are still on the list. Yes, as far as I know, that's what it looked like. But this is also very important. He is one of the very few people to be tested against the DNA that they have. We talked about last time, they don't have great DNA evidence, but they've got it kind of enough to get a match. 
possibly if they ever find if they were to ever find E.B. Cooper. But he's the only suspect they've never released the results of the DNA test on. Uh oh. Which probably means like an inconclusive test, and they weren't able to ever get a real one. No, it means the FBI recruited him to the CIA, and they knew it was D.B. Cooper. The all FBI along. recruited him to the CIA. Yeah. Yep, for the KGB. Yeah. In Iran. So that he could work for the NSA? Yeah. But they accidentally sent him to NASA because they forgot the A. That's This is our podcast, everybody. <laughs> we just summed it up for you. <laughs> uh, anyway, so, so that's, some of the, that's some of the evidence against him just because he has the experience. And they asked his ex-wife early on in the investigation – uh, the FBI asked her if he could do something like this, and she's quoted as responding with, yes, that sounds like something he'd do. So there you It also sounds it. like something an ex-wife would say. It does a little bit, yeah. Like, does this mean he'll go to prison? He did it. Yeah, yeah. it was him. Um, but he, there's, there's not a lot of information on him, which I also find very odd, because he's one of the first people that they ever looked at. But he's kind of just this name that's left on this list, rather than like all of these other people that we have that if people have looked into uh he is one of the ones i believe that one of the current like cooperologist type people they believe that it's sheridan peterson and they believe it for for numerous reasons but one of the reasons is they think that the jump made more sense if it was off course and he actually landed by the tenna bar that we mentioned that the money was found in right like it was buried right there but his whole ideology, I didn't mention him here, but his whole ideology is just that Peterson landed there because it would have made the most sense because he would have really known the area. He like lived in that area for a short period of time or something like that. And then uh, he landed there and he buried some of the money. However, if you also listen to that first part, you know that we now know more about the money and we know that it wasn't just buried there. So his ideals for why Peterson worked kind of fall apart now with more current information. The video I had watched was just from last year, but the evidence that we found is from this year. So he's just oh. now being snuffed out. But in any case, the FBI did eventually officially close the case. Uh, this is the first time they've actually fully closed the case. It's the second time they said they were going to. The other time they said they were going to close the case was with L.D. Cooper because they really believed that story for a very short period of time. Oh, yeah. I and then I think that. he failed like a DNA test or something like that. And they eventually iced him and they were like, we can't close this case. They ended up closing it a couple of years later anyway. However, they promise that they'll reopen it if any more real leads come about. Did you say in 2016 is when they closed it? Yes. Yeah, pretty recently. Very recently. Yeah. If you find any more evidence, they will reopen it. Yeah, I mean, considering we had a study come out just this year, I mean, it's still a thing. People are still looking at pieces of this case. And it was like, it's over 50 years ago at this point now. It's, yeah. It's, it's exactly 50 years ago this year. Oh, it, yeah, no, it will be 50 years in, in November. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Wow. We should have done this then. Dang it. Yeah. We'll, we should, we'll revisit it in a year if there's any more evidence. Allie, we should celebrate your birthday by jumping out of planes. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't want to. <laughs> um, so we have some alternate theories for you. 
because this wouldn't be a conspiracy to say what without Cam's fringe theory hmm. corner. Cam's fringe theory corner. No, I need a we need a theme song for that. <laughs> do, 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 do. I'm pretty sure that's copyrighted. Do, 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 do. <laughs> now it's not. There we go. Uh, anyway. Explain. Let's talk about the 1950s. So aliens in the 1950s, not aliens, actually, this time in the 1950s, the CIA needed a better way to extract their officers out of hostile situations without ever setting foot on the ground. Uh, So they came up with an operation called Operation Skyhook. If you have ever seen this is now the third time I've mentioned Batman. If you've ever seen The Dark Knight. They use Operation Skyhook in that. But Operation Skyhook is actually a legitimate CIA method of extracting their operatives. And it was used for quite a while, actually. It was used all the way through the 60s, I believe, is what I read. So what it is, is essentially you have someone on the ground and you have a plane with a hook on it that is going to fly in and grab them. That person on the ground releases what is essentially kind of like a parachute, but it releases a, a marker that floats upwards. And then it's like a balloon. So that's going to float upwards and is inflated. And then the plane flies in, it hooks that and rips the operative off the ground. So it, and it works. They, they didn't say they killed anyone by doing it, but (laughs) would they though? I I mean, this is a CIA. Now they probably would because they're like, we weren't a part of that. They murdered people. Uh, (laughs) But uh, I also found when I was looking this up, trying to make sure I had found the right thing, there is a video where some guys did it with an RC plane and a baby doll too. So it works. It does work. Uh, But I was thinking about this and there's the idea that maybe he had an accomplice, Cooper did, right? And if he had prior military experience, he would have most likely known about Operation Skyhook. So maybe... Just maybe. He jumps out of the plane and he's already got a harness on with the parachute that's built to take in like a little bit of that tension and that pressure. So he's, he pulls his chute. He opens up his briefcase. We haven't talked about this yet, but what I think was in the briefcase, uh, I think there's a good chance regardless what was in the briefcase is I actually don't think it was a bomb. I don't think DB Cooper ever intended on blowing himself up. Uh, I think he had a set of flares in there. Because the way the, the um, stewardess describes the look, they're long cylindrical tubes, and they're ju- they just have wire wrapped around them, which makes me think he took a battery, some wire, wrapped them around the outside of flares, and called it a bomb, because she wouldn't have known the difference. So he pulls his chute, he pops a flare, and then a plane comes by, rips him out of the air, they fly off to an airfield, Roll back to Spain like there's no manana. That's one hell of a story, Cam. Yeah, and it should be mentioned that it, you don't just like get ripped out of the sky I and mean, then you're like floating there. There's a winch that pulls you in too. Yeah. So the winch would then pull him in and he'd be safe in the plane. He'd have his money. His accomplice would have gotten his part of the money. They would have landed at a smaller airport. No one would have expected that. Boom. I did write that. Boom. <laughs> I'm just saying there's, I mean, there's, a, prob- there's a possibility. Uh, yeah. That's an alternate theory. You heard it here first. Cause I literally couldn't find it anywhere else. Nobody <laughs> mentions 
that theory. Uh, it should also be said that I don't actually think that's what happened, but I think it's fun. Yeah, so. it's fun to speculate. I also had a theory that the uh, the bomb in the briefcase is just like survival equipment and camping gear disguised to look like a bomb. Yeah. Yeah, I, I see. I agree with that. I think I don't think it was a bomb at all. I really don't. This is too. It, again, Chill. like we talked about in the last one, like this is a con. This whole thing's a con. The entire thing is. And what's in that briefcase is also a con. I have a good feeling that he had an accomplice. I think that he did have flares in there, and that's what she saw because it makes sense with the description. And I think that would also help him find his way or someone find their way to him as well if they're looking in a specific area which we also know he knew where he was going to jump so i think that would have also helped but like you said survival gear in a briefcase wouldn't be surprising because briefcases always had two compartments then two you open them up and on one side you could have one set of things and then you could flip that over and you'd have another set of things so she would have never seen that the stewardess and she wouldn't have known. But that is the other theory as well as the accomplice thing. I don't know what you guys think about that. I mean, um, if he lived, it, I'd say he'd probably need somebody to help him. Yeah, because he's uh, landing in the woods in a suit and loafers. Like, he, and like in the middle of the woods. He, he either needed to have extra equipment with him or somebody there to pick him up. I... I also question, though, whether or not he didn't have something else on underneath the suit. Because the suit seems like a very specific choice, which covers up his entire arm, which makes me think he had, like, some type of, like, thermal underneath there or something like that to also protect himself. I think he was set up and ready to go. And it does make sense that he would have had an accomplice, someone to get him out even faster. Well, I mean, even if your skyhook theory isn't a thing, I mean, he probably could have used the flares to be like, hey, I'm here, come pick me up. Yeah. Well, and he would have assumed, I think, one of the things that's mentioned is that the government did have planes tailing this plane and nobody saw him jump. So what I think also happened is he had the plane go that low so that the plane's tailing wouldn't have gone that low, which gives them less of a chance to spot him if he pops a flare. They're not going to okay. see it because they're too high. But Yeah, too many pop brownies. Hmm? Oh. 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 Doesn't feel good now, does it? Ah, you got duped. Anyway. Anyway, let's, let's talk about let's the end this of this shit down. and go back over some of what I was talking. Here. Yes. <laughs> Okay, so my biggest problem with this whole case, as we've kind of sprinkled in here, is that, like, literally fucking every middle-aged white dude looks exactly the same in this time period. Everyone's dad looks like D.B. Cooper, which is why there are so many suspects and why we've never been able to pinpoint anybody based on appearance. Everyone's dad looks like D.B. Cooper and randomly had cash that they bought something big with. Yeah, that just sounds like a dad. And then came home covered in blood one night and they're like, I did it. I hijacked a plane. Well, see, she said that was in the middle of the day. The L.D. Cooper thing was in the middle of the day, too, which means like he would have crashed into a tree and his brother's got to wait till the middle of the day to find him. It's a mess. Yeah, I just wanted to throw that again out there because I hate that so many things are like, yeah, he looks nothing like D.B. Cooper. We don't know what D.B. Cooper looks like. We have a doodle. That's it. That's a composite anyway. It's just pieces that they stuck together. 
That's the end of my rant. I thought you were going to keep going. Well, I'm pretty sure one of you guys did the, like, Cooper didn't die. Because I think he died. That's my guess. There's, so a lot of people think he died. That is one of the, the there's, there's basically two theories left. Either he died or he didn't. That's pretty much what it is. Cause you're but not going to figure out now. who it is. <laughs> he's dead now. So Robert wins. Uh, he's probably dead now, <laughs> but there, there's too much evidence to go against that, especially with the bacteria that we found in, or is it algae? Algae, right? Algae, algae. that we found on the dollar bills that were all banded together, it wouldn't work if he died because he wouldn't have died in the right area. Like he would have had to have died and then a squirrel picks up the cash and then a bird picks up the squirrel and then a hawk picks up that bird and then carries it to the river where it then drops all of them and then that floats there and then lands. But that would have had to have happened six months later. So there's an issue with time That's your frames only theory. now. <laughs> I'm just saying there's an issue with the time frame. The time frame doesn't work. Also, a lot of people say that the shoots were sewn shut. However, I found consistently that one of the shoots was not sewn shut, which would mean, and it was only the backup shoots. Let's also remind people of that only the emergency shoots were sewn shut. So he still would have been able to use the parachute, which I'm actually still surprised they gave him a working parachute. Why? Uh, there was a thing where they were concerned that because he asked for oh, so many, you're right. that they were going to uh, give them to the crew, and yeah. if they sabotaged any of them, then they would just kill one of the crew. Because this is a, such a smooth heist. Because I forgot about that detail. I always forget about that detail. Yeah, he ordered four parachutes because there were four people on the plane, so he made it look like he was going to make everybody jump, mm-hmm. which he obviously didn't intend to hurt anybody because he didn't make anyone jump, and he could have could have easily made one other person jump because then they would have been looking for that person and not him. But he was confident that they could look for him all they want and they weren't going to find him, which is another thing that kind of goes against that. I think he was definitely, the FBI originally didn't help because they added to the idea that he didn't know what he was doing and he was an amateur skydiver if nothing else. But since then, all of their suspects are professional skydivers. Like these are people who are trained in the military and we also know that the shoots given to him, we know this now, they were actually built for jets. So we're talking like professional grade parachutes too. So there's a good chance he survived. And they probably would have found a body by now. Forests are huge. It's hard to find things. But they also did air searches. And you're going to find that parachute, if nothing else, most likely. And they so never no did. body and no parachute. Right. And those are two of the most important ones is nobody, no parachute, one bundle of cash, not in the area he would have landed. So that's the difficult situation you find yourself in with saying that he just died. Uh, Yeah. But those are, that's to go against the dying thing. Again, it could still be, there's plenty of people who investigate this. They spend their whole lives doing it and they think he died. So he could have still died. That's fair. I honestly, in my head canon, it's he died, there's a pile of money there, and there's a whole other movie in between that we don't see of some hillbillies fighting over money, and then a little bit of it winds up in the water for a spring or something. See, I was like, just thinking, it... I was thinking like Stand By Me, like a group of children find it and they carry it around for a while. Oh my god, maybe that, maybe the body from <laughs> Stand By Me was D.B. Cooper. The timelines don't match up at all. 
Wait, no, maybe it was Stephen King. Maybe he found D.B. Cooper. It's fine. Works out perfectly. Maybe it's Stephen King. It's Stephen King. Guys, we cracked it. We figured it out. Congratulations. <laughs> so there is also the thing we talked about in the last episode, where, um, as we keep saying, this is a fucking con, and maybe he left all this evidence behind on purpose, like the tie he left there because it had some DNA on it, which whether it was his or not, you never know. And then like the, the cigarettes are still there, you know, everything else is just kind of sitting there. Like it just seems too easy to just like dump it there and be like, whatever. And he, Oh, everything's a misdirect, like making all these demands this whole time. And yeah, I don't know. That's, I don't know where else to go from there. <laughs> it seemed so elaborate that yeah. why why would he leave anything behind? Like everything was a choice with him. Yeah. Well, and he he probably there's a good chance he worked for the uh, airliner, one of the airliners, or for Boeing. All of which would have been in the area that he jumped as well, because one of his misdirects is he's like, I'm going to Mexico. Like you're going to fly me there, and I'm going to jump. He was never jumping there. He he, he knew he Mexico. he knew he had one flight. When they told him they were going to refuel in Reno, he knew he had that space to jump, but he already knew that he was already expecting it. I feel like, like he was ready for all of this. And again, like the only thing he wouldn't have known about leaving behind by accident is DNA and a couple of idiots lost the cigarettes. So the FBI is just doing that thing. Like I said earlier, they point fingers until someone flinches. Someone's going to do that eventually with the cigarettes. So, yeah. Yeah. But it is too smooth. I still think this is too clean to be for all of like his tie being left behind and the cigarettes being left behind and all of that to be an accident. It's just yeah. too easy. That's why I think he's either got an accomplice or like extra gear in the briefcase. Because for someone to be this meticulous in planning and executing a heist, to jump out into the rainy night forest unprepared seems crazy so he probably was prepared mm -hmm. yeah yeah i think everything points to the idea that he knew what he was doing and this was extremely planned like i don't think this was even just like a weekend like i could put this together like he had to have been thinking about this for a very long time so we also have in our conclusions here just like some issues with some of the suspects too. let's talk about why some of these suspects are not great even though we already kind of did but we did We'll elaborate a little bit. So speaking of people who planned this for a long time, uh, McCoy planned his own based off of D.B. Cooper's, but it was probably just a copycat robbery. And he also got, I mean, like we said, he got caught too easily. He was too violent, which doesn't match the D.B. Cooper thing. Um, he had a handgun and a paperweight grenade which, real or not, is a little different. It wasn't as concealed. He just kind of was like, look, I have these things. Um, and then he dies in a shootout, which I don't think this D.B. Cooper would have done. He is too sneaky, obviously, because he has never been caught. Um, yeah. And he looks nothing fucking like him. I, I have to think that, like, if the D.B. Cooper that actually jumped from the plane, like, if he was to break out of prison like McCoy, he would walk out in like a prison guard uniform. He wouldn't be busting through the gates with a truck. Like he's way too smooth in what he, he does. He planned his escape. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. He wouldn't have just been like, well, garbage truck, big gate, small crash and driven through it. Yeah. I don't think it would yeah. have happened. He would have been really driver. polite to everyone involved. Yeah. <laughs> he probably would have like high fived one of the other guards on the way out. Like, come on. Like, Hey man, you did a good job. You know, you'll get me next time. Don't worry about it. So there's, there's McCoy. Yeah. The, the biggest thing that bothers me about him too, is just that he was violent. He, he wasn't, he didn't like harm anybody. He was violent. He was more violent later on, but he was aggravated. He and was violent during and the whole thing. anxious. Yes. And, and very important point. Uh, the FBI ended up ruling him out on a big note because he didn't match the physical description they had been given by their witnesses. So he was one of the ones that was ruled out because of the lacking physical evidence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then there's all the problems with Dwayne Weber. Dwayne, Dwayne, Dwayne. Basically, I mean, we, we sort of alluded to all this. Uh, everything is suspect in whether or not these stories are true because you have a kid that's just kind of validating this woman, but then he's not really listening to everything. Yep. And I don't know, yeah, I mean, I would, it's hard to believe. I really feel like he's a flim-flam psychic kind of guy. Just like, everyone look at me. I'm so amazing. I know all of these things. And it, like the fact that he doesn't listen to her, I think is very telling because the truth isn't important. Yeah, no, no just, just the details that sound right. He takes out little pieces and then like sticks them together. And I don't know, it's like they're forcing it to work. Yeah, I, I have a feeling a lot of those conversations probably go like her saying that they were in a hotel in that similar area. Again, I think there's parts of her story that are true. And like maybe they were in that area that she claims, but they were in a hotel like they say they were in a hotel that would have been right by where the money was found. However, what I think is she said they were in a hotel in that area and Collins probably looked up multiple hotels in that area, found one that worked and then was like, was it this one? And she was like, yeah. And I think that's yeah. how a lot of those conversations He's go. like leading, uh, what do you call it? When leading cops. questions, leading when the they, witness. Yeah. Leading, leading the witness. The witness. Yeah. Objection. Leading the witness. <laughs> um, so, who knows? Because, like, we never heard anything from Dwayne Weber with this one, as we have with some of our other suspects. All we know is that he said when he died that he was Dan Cooper. And yeah. he's very suspicious, but that's about it. And again, him throwing ba- a bag of money or burying the money, either one, doesn't work with the case. It pretty much rules him out right there. Because, again, we have new evidence. That's the unfortunate thing with a lot of these suspects is they're kind of quickly ruled out because of that. Uh, and new another thing, evidence. he was ruled out with DNA. Yeah, but I, I honestly think, like in my opinion, I think he wanted to go down as someone to be remembered, and I think none of his other con men things had been someone something that he'd be remembered by. So he told his wife he was DB Cooper to try and get like this last bit, like this last grab on something that people would remember him for. That scans. That makes sense. Um, so on to Rekka. Uh, so he was uh, really vague about a lot of the details like wouldn't be more specific about the hijacking. And I'm not sure if, certain if this was him actually, but um, at least one of the suspects that uh, the FBI did say like that their story didn't corroborate unreleased details. So there are things about this case that we don't know, but mm. the fact that he, he and um, the, uh, there was another guy, Rackstraw, would, like we're just so like, maybe I'm D.B. Cooper. I'm not going to talk about it, but I'm just going to like leave that lure dangling there. Makes me think all the less that they did it. Um, 
claimed the flight the flight was over the Cascade Mountains, which is like really, really tall and high, and the planes were flying very low. Like they would have been in the mountain real low. Yeah, he requested that the plane fly at 10K, like 10,000 feet, but uh, the Cascade Mountains are at their highest, like 14,000 feet. Yeah. So you're going to run into a mountain. Just want to straight into him. <laughs> yeah. So the, apparently the, the friend Lauren, who Rekka gave his life rights to after he died has been saying that, like, this doesn't necessarily mean it's not true, which is weird. Actually, I didn't write this part. Who, could somebody uh-huh. clarify this? Yeah. So, so here's the problem, is Lauren is kind of like our memory man, which is the friend of Rekka. Lauren is the friend of Rekka, and he's our memory man for Rekka, because Rekka's dead. So everything that Lauren's saying, we have to kind of take as gospel, because we don't have anyone to dispute it. But... One of the problems came when Rekka, or when Lauren specifically claimed that they flew, like we said, Cascade Mountain Range, which at a base is like 14,000 feet. So there's, not a, there's a good chance they didn't fly over that because they would have hit something. That wasn't going to happen. And we have the pilots that, of the plane that already say they know how low they were flying. There's no way they were flying through the Cascades. Even if their radar was off, it wasn't off by that much. And also they have windows. Yeah. Also that. Yeah. No, they could just look out the side. (laughs) But um, Lauren disputes this by saying that they could have taken a different route than they thought they were taking. And there's a specific route that goes through the Cascade mountains, according to Lauren, that would go low enough to where they could have taken the plane through that area. Now, the problem is, is he doesn't get this information about this route that planes take through the Cascade Mountains. He doesn't get that information from the pilots of the plane for the D.B. Cooper heist. He actually doesn't ask them anything. He specifically does not contact them. He contacts other commercial pilots and asks them if that's possible, to which they say, sure. (laughs) Sure. So Lauren is specifically ignoring the pilots that were a part of this that are still alive that he could be talking to and asking pilots who have no association with it. And asking if it's possible. Exactly. Like, okay, yeah, no, it's possible. That doesn't mean it happened. Exactly, yeah. I mean, the mountains are that close. You couldn't really jump out, right? Because you'd be too close to ground. You're not, yeah, you're not, you can't jump out at 10,000 feet if if the mountain range is at 14,000 feet. It doesn't work. It doesn't, it's not that it doesn't give you enough time. Like, you would have had to just step off the plane. Nothing else. Yeah. It's still too high. Yeah, it's not going to work. It doesn't work. People have disputed Lauren's claim multiple times because it doesn't work. The only way it works is if if you take a specific route, which drops just low enough to where he could have jumped. But like, and and then everybody else would have noticed that they were, you know, in the mountains and said so during the investigation. I just, like, I can't imagine the pilots being like, oh, shit, is that a mountain? Like, just as they're flying directly at it. Yes. Um, it, it, it makes me think of 2012, which we talked about on our other podcast, our Attack the 50-Foot podcast, when they drop the cars out on the ice. Like, <laughs> were they just that low? And D.B. Cooper and just, like... tumble and die. D.B. Cooper puts on some roller skates and just slides right off. <laughs> yeah. No, that's not, that's not what happened. Uh, 
Lauren also has a, um, he has an agenda because Lauren is making money off of the DB Cooper. Claim. Is it the reptilian agenda? No, he's, <laughs> he's, he's get, he's getting financial gain from the RECA claims because people offered him book deals. Money. So who gets the life right book deal? Lauren does. So who's going to keep pushing this agenda by not asking anybody associated with it what happened, but asking people, could this have happened? Lauren is. So that's the issue with Lauren is he has money to gain. Yeah. And I feel like Rekka was just sort of like, yeah, okay, fine. You know, you can tell the story, but once I'm dead. Okay. So that way <laughs> I don't, I don't have to be around it. for it. Rekka is also a case where I did read, uh, I found one random article that supposedly was about, <laughs> they did an interview with the niece of Rekka. I think it was the niece or great niece or something like that. And uh, she said that she doesn't recall Lauren being at Rekka's side during his death. So there's also a dispute on the claim there. So who knows with the Rekka thing, whether or not he even ever claimed he was D.B. Cooper. I also want to know how many people that claim this say I'm D.B. Cooper or say I'm Dan Cooper, because that to me changes it. Yeah, because D.B. Cooper is the famous not correct one. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Also, just real quick to to mention record did uh, confess on a recorded line, but this was before his death. So he wasn't, you couldn't like ask him any further questions about it. Cause he's dead now. Yeah. I mean, we'll never know with most of these. Cause it's like, Oh, before he died, he said it was true. But yeah. then you can't be like, but wait, wh- how, <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> what are you talking about? And it's another one of those cases kind of like Weber where we have like all this evidence of like all these cons or KGB and like all these different types of things, but like you don't have any evidence of the heist itself. Like if they're, if they're leaving behind those things, they would have left something behind with the heist. There's no way they wouldn't have. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. Also what Reco looks the least like DB Cooper. He looks nothing like him. Yeah. We talked about Rackstraw's too young. Yeah. Extra, he didn't do it. So, is that a hit? That's the, the question is after <laughs> is all it? of this, <laughs> after we everything. So we could have talked about 50 more witnesses. There's so many more. There's, <laughs> there is like a crazy person who claims that they're DB Cooper and then like runs out of a room screaming while people laugh at her at one point. And there's, there's just literally tons and tons and tons of cases. I recommend watching Decoded and the HBO documentary because they're both pretty great. Yeah, for different so, reasons. Robert, please reiterate. What do you what do you think is the truth? I I really think that he died. Uh like in the attempt to like either in the landing uh, or like I said last time, uh, uh like skewered like a like on the treetops. <laughs> as he's falling down. Um, my, my second likely idea is that it's none of these people. That he yeah. did get down there and he like, whatever, walked on foot to Canada and started a life there and has just never mentioned it to anybody because he's a goddamn professional. I, I think what draws me to the D.B. Cooper mystery is the whole gentleman thief thing of him just being super polite and he's only like defrauding the, like, the board and yeah. like as as everything meticulously planned 
yeah, I, I would like to believe that he's alive somewhere, but personally, I think he, he bit it. Damn. Cam, what's your, what's your truth? I, I think that either there's, I think he survived. I think there's too much to show that he survived. Like the, 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 the stack of money to me is one of the biggest things that's the more recent thing that I think just goes against him dying. I definitely think he survived the jump. But I also think he survived because I, everything was too meticulous. And I think he knew the whole time where he was going to land. I think he knew what he was going to do the whole time. I don't think there was ever a point in this heist where like he was worried that something wasn't going to go right. Like I'm sure he was worried, but like he was, it was so planned out, so detailed. So I think he survived. I think if anyone on this list that we talked about, it could be, I would say Kenneth Christensen, just because there's not any, there's not enough to go against it being him. So there's at least more pushing towards him. And him buying a home with a lot of money somehow is still also a little bit suspicious. But I don't even know if I do necessarily believe it was him after like looking at every single suspect that there is. Yeah. I, I think there's a good chance, like you said, that it might not be anybody that's been a suspect, honestly. I feel like uh, Dan Cooper, the man who actually hijacked that plane, was too smart to go around being like, maybe I am Dan Cooper on my deathbed. Exactly. You know what? I'm going to, on my deathbed, I'm just going to be like, I'm Banksy. (laughs) (laughs) Just start like claiming shit that like, I'm not going to be held responsible for because I'm dead now. Yeah. I mean, you might as well at this point. Deathbed confessions are worthless they there's too many times where they are just not true and they actually rarely pan out to be true because sometimes people just want to be remembered they live a life where they're not remembered so they claim something ridiculous like how many people have claimed to be the zodiac killer on their deathbeds god yeah so many people (laughs) so so many Deathbed, profession, deathbed confessions should be added to the pile of things like eyewitness accounts that you just, you cannot believe them at all. Yeah. Interesting points to bring up, but nothing that really ever leads to anything real. Yes. Um, so I agree with you guys. I don't, I don't really think it was any of these people. There's, all of them have something that is like, eh, that doesn't really work. And... Although, while watching the HBO documentary, I formulated my own fringe theory. You guys want to hear it? Yeah. All sure. right. All of these people that have said, I'm Dan Cooper, we're all Dan Cooper. Oh, no. You can't Orient Express this. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> so, they were, so Dan Cooper was a name for the team. It was the heist team. They all did it together. One of the guys was on the plane, obviously doing the thing. Somebody was there to pick him up, and then they split the money between everybody. All right? So that's how you couldn't find it very easily. And one of the guys who got the money died later in that same forest, and that's, where, that's why his share was found. Yeah, so, like, you only found little bits of money everywhere. Yep, yeah. everybody did it. It it's a, it's a murder on the Orient Express. Everybody did it. It's code. I, I do have to say that I do kind of question the guy that found the Boeing 727 panel with a serial number on it that he was able to connect back to the plane. Like, when I first heard that, I was like, 
It was you. You randomly found this panel. Like, did you just give this to the FBI so they'd be like, oh, it wasn't you. Cool. (laughs) Misdirect after misdirect. What effect was D.B. Cooper? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think, I think there's a good chance he lived. Um, I also think there's a good chance he died. It just depends on, on what he like ran into. Cause like the fact that he couldn't control the parachute is a big deal. And, but then again, he could have been a professional. I don't know. Basically what I'm saying is I have no idea, but I think it's a good chance that he lived with the amount of planning and all that that he did. Yeah. But do I think it's any of those people that we just talked about? Not really. (laughs) It's hard to say. I mean, it could be any of them. Like you said, it could be all of them. It's everybody. That's my theory. I mean, that's not the worst theory I've heard here. So that was Stevie Cooper. Yeah, I would like to ask the NSA who they think it is. Uh, Please let us know. Where is he? Let us know. If you want to just like, I don't know, just shine a light on the window. Something like that. Anyway. Yeah, the National Security Agency. Do you want to be a guest on this podcast? <laughs> All agency. We just want a statement that we can read. Yeah. Okay, anyway. Uh, that was D.B. Cooper. And you made it through two parts of D.B. Cooper. Unless you started on the second part. Then I don't know why you did that. You missed a lot of good evidence if you started on the second part. So um, don't do that. And thank you, of course, to Robert for toughing this one out. Thank you for having me. I love exploring the unknown with you guys. Yay. That's what we're here for. Um, Yeah, so you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. What? We're on Instagram now. Hooray. We just celebrated Burbs for Nobody else on all three. (laughs) (laughs) I know. We're so ahead of the times. yeah, you can you can tell us your theories that you want to hear on there. Uh, you can email them to us at conspiracywhat at gmail.com if you want to. Uh, you can check out any books that are related to any of our theories that we may have read or just kind of found interesting at our uh, Goodreads account. And yeah, this has been a whole fucking year of Conspiracy What. Thank you guys for being here and listening and leaving reviews and all the things you do you guys are cool yeah and thanks to all of our guests if any of you guys are listening so many guests over the last year yeah that's all i got i'm Allie. yeah i'm cameron and i'm robert that's conspiracy say goodbye and remember to always stay stitious and that the moon is a hologram and that flat earth isn't real because we all live in a matrix on mars you didn't mention the reptilian space pope. He is the controller of the Matrix. Okay. Oh, so the architect is a reptilian space pope? Yes. That's that's how that works. <laughs> this is the conspiracy one. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>